DSMLF Radio, world leading insight from world leading peers, helping to accelerate your intelligence. Welcome to DSMLF Radio. The Digital and Social Media Leadership Forum is an organization where many of the world's leading companies come to meet, share, and discuss insights and knowledge about social media and new technologies. Today, I'm talking with Andy White, who works at Sprinkler, who make enterprise social software for big brands. In his role, he has the privilege of talking to many of the world's most innovative brands. And in this interview, we'll share some of the really powerful things they're doing with social. So welcome, Andy. Great to have you with us. Hey, Joe. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you. Sounds like you're in a great position to really see at first hand some of the innovations in social as they happen. Yes, absolutely. I mean, on a, on a day-to-day basis, we get to talk to some really, really cool brands um, and see firsthand some of the really innovative things they're doing on social. Give us an example of uh, one of the, the brands that you're working with that uh, is having some great uh, success with their social that's actually perhaps um, seen by mere mortals like me as innovative. <laughs> sure, okay. Um, well, I'm just a mere mortal as well, and I, I definitely feel like one when I start seeing some of the really cool stuff they, uh, these brands do. Um, well, no, I have a favorite, actually, so I'll start with that one um, because I think it's a really, really cool example. And this brand in particular, they just have one thing they do that I think is really, really innovative, but they have three. Um, I can't mention the brand in person because I don't have uh, permission to do so, but I can tell you they're one of the biggest car manufacturers in the world. Um, they, they're certainly in the top three in terms of um, building more cars than anyone else. Um, and they do a few really cool things. I'll start with my favorite, um, which I um, like to call Stinky Trunk, or hashtag Stinky Trunk is the section that you know. Um, and what this was is they've got a team of people um, that are monitoring what is being said on social and review sites and blogs and websites about their brand uh, from a customer services perspective. And um, what they noticed was that over a period of time, um, that there was a trend of people saying that there was a bad smell starting to come from the boots of their cars. Or because this happened in the US, they would actually say the trunks of their cars, hence stinky trunk. <laughs> and what they did was they contacted the defects team and um, gave them all the information that they had from social. Um, all the reporting, when, when, you know, who's saying what, where they're saying it, when it started. And the defects team were able to cross-reference that data with the inventory data um, in the factory of what was going into the boots of those cars. So you've got to take into account there's over 5,000 different components that could have been smelling badly. Um, and they're able to realize that the, the, the tweets and the reviews and the blog posts and the Facebook comments and all that sort of stuff started around the same sort of time. And they're able to cross-reference that to, to identify that they changed the glue that goes in the sealants around the, uh, the seals of the cars around that time. So it was pretty much undoubtedly that that was causing the smell. So they were able to, you know, do a recall and, and all the good stuff that, that comes off the back of that to stop any further issues happening, um, which I think is like mind-blowing. If you think about, you know, some of the, the, um, the issues that have been in the press lately um, to do with emissions and other car manufacturer brands, how things can really, really get out of control once, once people find out about them and press days off. This sort of thing is a sort of big crisis maybe avoided, um, all because of social. And yeah. That's really cool. And interesting that um, that sort of uh, data would have potentially existed before, but only in sort of dealerships and, and anecdotal yeah. evidence. There wouldn't have been enough sort of 
hard data to be able to look at the dates and, and tie it back as as, uh, as directly as they're able to do. So as you say, the social opportunity has really, um, you know, changed the way that that, that that these sorts of things get dealt with. So um, a great example. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you make a good point. I, I wondered to myself and I was talking to a colleague about this and you sort of said, well, how would it ever come about? And you can, you can almost only imagine the time it would come about is maybe at the, the car manufacturers, dealerships, Christmas party and you know they sort of sat around the table saying oh, what was the most crazy thing you had this year and said, oh you wouldn't believe it we had three cars come in with smelly boots stinky <laughs> trunks you know <laughs> um, and, and you know you can't imagine any other way because you know you can almost imagine maybe that the dealers would spray some for breathing there for an air freshener and they wouldn't have been able to fix it on the level that the manufacturer did so yeah it's a really good point yeah but, I mean this is that's just one of the examples of this manufacturer that I love um, another is this, that they're using social listening to really dictate um, all that they do in their business. And this is not unusual. I think the, the concept of social listening came about from you know, a, a lot of product marketeers who wanted to know what people thought about products in the market. So you know, the idea of listening to what, what's happening to, to new products is not new. But in this case of this manufacturer, which I think is exceptionally interesting, is that they will actually allow social listening and the sentiment of what people are saying online on social and review sites uh, and blogs to dictate <clears throat> the amount of cars they'll manufacture. So if they launch a new car and it's got positive sentiment, people saying a lot of good things, they'll continue making it and they may even turn up for production and make more of that car. Alternatively, if it's not good, it's bad news, then they'll turn down production and maybe even stop production altogether of a, of a whole car based on what you and I are saying about it on social media and on blog sites. All those different online places we talk. Mm. And again, a, another example of the conversations will always have been happening, but they'd have been offline and, and much less traceable. I, I worked with a car dealership many years ago, and we used to get allocations of cars where clearly they'd made them and we had to sell them somehow. <laughs> so I know how important it is to get that production schedule right, particularly you know for the for the end dealer, if you like. So um, so again, a great example of where the conversation and the 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 sort of its sentiment was always there, but not very easy to get to. Yeah, and, and sentiment is actually that the, it links mostly to the last example um, from this car manufacturer, um, which is that they are talking about putting what we would call command centers. So when we talk about command center, we talk about TV screens tuned in to social and what people are saying on social. So you quite often will see them at events, um, maybe in reception foyer areas and, and places like that. They're talking about putting a command center in the break room in their factories. Um, and the idea of this is that it will be hooked up to feed in positive sentiment around that car manufacturer's brand. So the idea is the engineer um, goes to have a, a, a tea break or for their lunch break. And instead of sitting down and playing Candy Crush Saga on their phone or reading the paper, they look at this screen and what they see is they see people um, tweeting or Instagramming Facebooking or reviews of positive things people are saying about their, that car manufacturer's brand. So you couldn't even be sat there looking at the car that you've just finished building that's just been picked up a few days later and someone saying how happy they are with it. And the beauty of that is, you know, we're all generally in, in the social space, one way or another, creative people. And we, we, you know, for anything like me, I love to see my work be used. And I think, I'm sure if you're an engineer working um, on building cars, you're going to be no different. You, it just boosts your morale, makes you feel happier about you know the job you're doing, and maybe you may you know you may jump out of that 
that lunch break with a skip in your step or something like that. I think that's such a great use of social media to really connect uh, the employee to the customer. We talk a lot about social being external and there's a lot of conversation around internal social networks for collaboration and communication but we don't hear so much I don't think at the moment about how you connect your employees with your customer and with your customers experience so I think that's a, a really good example have you got any others where that command center uh, approach has been used well I do you're right we're starting to see more and more examples of command centers used internally to feed information across large organizations and I think it does that very very well Especially when you can control what goes on there, um, to you know, to, to, to a really fine degree. Um, I think <laughs> I have actually got another favourite example um, with command centres. It's not directly relating to a command centre, but the, the idea started with a command centre, um, and this is um, this happened over the other side of the pond. This was a, a large hospital group in the US, and um, you know, I, I, I first and foremost say that. You know, I love America. I obviously work for an American company, and I've got a lot of American friends. But you know, the uh, the American healthcare system makes me really appreciate the NHS for a lot of reasons, <laughs> and this is one of them. Um, and this is that um, they, you know, the focus on profits out there, which I, I can't quite get my head around, but it, it occurs. Um, and so the uh, this large hospital group in the U.S. they had a command center, and it was tuned in to what people are saying about emergency rooms in this case, and they noticed that um, the main amount of things that people were talking about in relation to emergency rooms was the wait time. It wasn't you know, the, the survival rates or the, the cleanliness or the things that I would think were important. It was actually how long am I going to wait to, to see them, which is obviously important, but um, to, to be the number one thing is, is interesting, I thought. And so this, this hospital group thought, right, okay, well, that's obviously what people care about. Let's make that our USP. And so what they started doing was social listening to people that were saying that they needed to go to the emergency room, which, again, enough for another reason blew my mind. I mean, I can't imagine needing to go to the emergency room and feeling the need to tweet or Facebook about it or whatever it is. Um, but apparently that's happening. Um, and so, yeah, so they started listening to this. Not just listening, but they also started to respond to people's comments. So, for example, if I was in, you know, Texas, and I tweeted that um, I'd broken my arm and I needed to go to the ER, then I would get a response from the nearest hospital in this hospital group saying, hey, Andy, um, sorry for you've broken your arm, um, but guess what? You know, there's, a, there's a hospital just seven miles away from New Dallas, um, and the wait time is currently four minutes. You know, off you go, type of thing. Um, which I thought, you know, is a, is a great example of uh, using, you know, an innovative use of social. But you know, this is the bit that really blew my mind. They attributed a 20% increase in ER room visits to this strategy, and an extra 20 million dollars in revenue. Wow. <laughs> it, it wasn't just a nice idea, but it worked. You know, it, on the bottom line, it worked. And, you know, you can almost imagine, you know, when um, the message got up to the top when they're asking for more investment in social, and saying, "Well, what is the ROI on social?" That classic old question. You say, "Well, actually, this this, this one strategy alone." Um, helped us add twenty million dollars to our bottom line. <laughs> presumably this was people example, right? presumably this was people choosing their hospital as opposed to another one rather than choosing to go to the emergency room when they hadn't been really <laughs> thinking about it. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, that I mean it's, you know the old the old term sort of ambulance chaser they used to you know used to talk about with, with lawyers chasing ambulances around. Well this is the 
ambulances chasing ambulances around almost, isn't it? It's almost, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's really crazy, but it, it's happened and it works for them. So, you know, I guess credit, credit where credit's due. So, <laughs> case, have you got your credit card where it's due? Because it's going to be expensive. <laughs> Excellent. So, I think you had another example so about um, McDonald's and a campaign that they had and yeah. some listening around that. Sure. So McDonald's are, are really, really, really good on social. They're very, very smart. They do a lot of very clever things. And one, one thing that they've done, uh, not just on social, but what you know, they're very good at marketing generally. And one thing they've done very well is incorporate social into all of their marketing campaigns. Um, and we, we we know that they had a, a incident recently where they were about to launch one of their biggest ever campaigns, not just on social, but you know, globally across glo- all the, all their restaurants. Um, all their markets, all the countries they're in. And there's actually, very sad to say, there was a, a disaster that happened on the morning of that, that campaign was supposed to launch. They found out about it on a command center. It was it started to trend on their command center in in the, what they call their war room um, with all the you know all the senior heads from the marketing team. And they actually used the data of social and what was appearing on that command center to figure out whether they were going to do the campaign or not. You know, so it was almost sort of practice what we preach, and let's let's really dig into the data to see whether, uh, first and foremost, it's going to be really insensitive to continue this campaign or not. And secondly, if we do continue, um, are we going to get share of voice? Is it still going to be a successful campaign as we want it to be? But we also don't, you know, we're sensitive to, um, you know, marketing if there's a, something bad that's happened. And they're able to use the um, the data and, and make the right choice in the end for them. And it, you know, the data corroborated how successful the campaign was. Mm. Um, Likewise, we're also seeing them doing some really cool stuff. I don't know if you've seen, they've started doing all-day breakfasts in the U.S. now, which is interesting because you know, they, they found that um, you know, over, over a period of time, they were getting thousands and thousands of inbound messages of people saying that they wanted, to do, wanted them to do breakfasts for longer than, I think, is it 10.30? I'm going to pretend I don't know. Um, <laughs> I give an into my life, so I think it's 10.30. Um, I've read that somewhere, not that I've ever eaten of course not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, uh, and they, they found out that a lot of people wanted them to, to do um, longer, uh, longer breakfasts. Um, and and they, they, they used that from using you know, social data, corroborated, again, that, um, that, they, that they should do that. And they actually started, as part of the campaign, they started responding to people that had been tweeting about it. I found one tweet that went as far back as 2008, uh, where someone had just tweeted, not even directly to McDonald's, they just tagged McDonald's, not not even the app tag, on a Twitter uh, tweet um, about you know wanting to McDonald's breakfast, and and what five, seven years later, that lady got a reply from McDonald's, um, <laughs> and and you know she replied back again, and you know, I think that's a quite interesting example there again of the power of social that we've we've seen. Yes, in, yeah. In what is the world's largest food restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. This the, this whole thing around the social listening is just fascinating, and and how you know we've talked about it as socials come along. Um, without I I don't think really understanding the the magnitude of the opportunity and and the the information that we now have at our fingertips as as organisations. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, that that's one of the things that really amazes me. I think if we were to wind the clock back 12 years, 12 months, sorry, and look at how people, you know, tell, tell myself 12 months ago how people are using social listening today, I wouldn't believe it. Two mm. years ago, I wouldn't have thought it was possible. But, um, you know, today we're seeing, you know, we'll see a, a presidential candidate will go to one one state um, and will do a completely 
different um, campaign in that state to the, the one he was in the day before because ahead of the, the going to that state and the state in the day before they would have his team would have identified that um, there were things that people in, in that state were interested in and insensitive to um, or things likewise not to mention so you'd have a candidate you know go from one state to another state over the period of 48 hours and do from two completely different um, speeches and, and have completely different a completely different manifesto for two states even though they're, they're both electing the same person um, I think that's that's a really interesting one and it's just using things like social listening and how to do that um, we're seeing things like um, football clubs are doing some really interesting things whereas you know before um, you would value a player based maybe if you've got a, a striker that, that scores goals you'd you know that the club would be valuing them on how many goals they score a season how many assists they do a season. Now there's a whole other layer of it, which is that you know how many Twitter followers does this player have? How many? How what percentage of engagement does this player get? Because they know that you know when it comes to the brand value of that player, it's it's obviously not as important as how good they are on the pitch. Otherwise, you'd have you know movie stars playing football. It is important, especially when you start to negotiate on contracts and things like that. So it's a really interesting example. And, and on the football example as well, we're seeing we're hearing that um, football scouts. Um, who have you know thousands of players on their books are using really advanced social listening queries to monitor players that they can't monitor themselves because they can't be in all places at all times, uh, or that the players are on, uh, playing in places that aren't covered by TV or um, so far away they, or different time zones they can't monitor. And what will happen is if a player that they're monitoring has a good game, then obviously the fans will talk about that player and the scout will pick up on that that there's a spike in, in people talking about that player and then if there's enough information there then they can maybe you know, make the efforts to make sure they get to see the videos and YouTube videos of that player doing what they do best. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a really interesting example, I think. Yes, absolutely. It's just amazing. The other example that, that works quite well is, um, is we're seeing more and more of and this is, you know, this, this comes from you know, we used to sort of see um, what we would call hash jacking, um, which is where you know a, a brand would have a hashtag that starts to trend, and then their competitor would maybe jump on that that hashtag. So a good example of that when I was talking about the all day breakfast was they McDonald's had all day hashtag all day breakfast trending for quite some time, and then a, another fast food establishment in the U.S. started you know tweeting with all hashtag all day breakfast just to try and get in on the the buzz. Um, uh, we're seeing brands take that to another level now where they're monitoring what people are saying about their competitors and reacting to it accordingly. So one of the really interesting examples I heard was where um, uh, a premium, let's say, a premium uh, shaving company, a razor company, um, their biggest competitor is monitoring every single thing that people say on Twitter about that brand and then will act accordingly depending on what people say. So if somebody says something good about that brand, they'll put it into a separate queue for the R&D team to look at to monitor well, what are they doing well because we want to make sure we do that as well. Likewise, if it's about price, as it often is in this case because they're, they're seen as expensive, um, then it'll go into a separate queue. And then based on um, how influential, what type of person, what location, the person making that tweet is, that complaint in this case about uh, is from or how influential they are. It would depend on what queue it goes in. It could go into a queue if they're quite influential, where they'll get some freebies. They'll just send them some free raises from this, this competitor um, to try and get them to talk about, you know, build buzz around them 
or if they're not so influential, then they will just um, put them into a queue, a sales queue, so that they'll start to be promoted to, maybe from Facebook dark posts or Twitter advertising, depending on where it's come from. Hmm. So it's, it's a really, it's really interesting. And you know, you, you would see we're seeing brands now who will follow a competitive brand affair and they'll, they'll run a campaign that can hit the brand, and um, the, the the brand that's following it will just tag every person that interacts with that campaign and put them into a separate list, so that they know if they run a similar campaign, they've got a ready made pick group of consumers that they can market to because they know they're susceptible to that type of campaign. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? That I think large organisations. I was talking to um, Carlos, also from Sprinkler, in one of our earlier shows, and uh, we were saying how the big organisations took a while to really get behind social, but it just seems to be sort of speeding now, as far as uh, you know, the the sort of use and, as you said, the, the the innovation and how things are now that you wouldn't have imagined were, were even possible a few years ago. So it's it's really interesting to to hear some of these examples of, of the really innovative things that people are doing. So thanks for joining us on the show. It's been really interesting, some some great examples and um, and really enjoyable to, to speak to you. Thank you for having me, Joe. It's been great fun. And to listeners, thank you for tuning in. We're going to be covering a whole variety of themes and topics moving forward. So if you'd like to be on the show, uh, please do get in touch with us at dsmlf.info. DSMLF Radio, world-leading insight from world-leading peers, helping to accelerate your intelligence.